Is that better? Yes, I'm on. I want to share around just a few verses from the book of Hebrews. I know that for the last five years we've been working our way through <laughs> through the book of Isaiah. It just seems like it. Um, <laughs> So I thought we'd have a little dabble in the New Testament. Um, I, I'm just going to read, uh, if you want to turn it up in your Bibles, to uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, I'm going to read from verse 29 through to chapter 12, uh, verse uh, 3. Uh, I'll read it and then, uh, and then we'll pray and then I'll tell you why, uh, why I'm reading it and, and why, why I'm going to just share uh, some thoughts around that. So from verse uh, 29. Uh, By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and and the sin that easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down, at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, we just, again, just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for those great men and women of faith. We thank you that they surround us. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage us through through these words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I've been a bit busy the last uh, a few weeks. Um, it's one of those things that uh, come August, retired clergy get busy. <laughs> um, I've, I've covered various services over the last uh, uh, two or three weeks. It's not something I, I like to do often, but there are two or three people that I'm committed to, to, uh, uh, to encouraging and uh, 
and supporting. So I've been uh, doing a few services in the, in the Anglican church, going back to my, to my roots. And uh, in the, it's interesting that, uh, as those of you who know will know, that uh, the readings for the, uh, in, the, in the Anglican church come from a lectionary, and we work our way through various things. And, and we're currently um, working through the, the Gospel of Luke. But we've sort of, over the last few weeks, it seems to hit that really difficult patch right in the middle of Luke. We're having talked about uh, 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 the, the kingdom breaking into the world. Jesus then calls people to follow him, and he then tells them how difficult that is. Uh, the, the reading this morning um, was the one about uh, where he says, Jesus says, I will have come to bring fire on the earth. Um, and now I wish it was already kindled, but I have a baptism to forego. And what constraint I'm under until, I, until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, I came, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They would be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Sounds like a normal family, doesn't it? <laughs> but it was, you get the gist. It was the really difficult stuff. Now, where Jesus is saying, look, I want you to follow me, but please do not think that this is going to be easy. And later on, just a, a few verses on, he gets that point where he says, you know, nobody builds a town unless you've worked out, unless you've really taken on board what this is going to cost. If you want to follow me, you've got to know how difficult it is sometimes. And it is, isn't it? We all know that stuff happens in life. And it's easy for us to, be get, to get weary, we get tired. It's easy to sort of have that sense of, um, of losing heart when things don't go as we think they should. But then alongside that, these gospel readings are some other readings. And, we ha- and our New Testament reading was this reading from Hebrews this morning, which is a sort of, uh, and, and I'm sure it's put alongside deliberately, this sense of Jesus saying, yes, it's hard, but I'm going to give you this encouragement. I'm going to give you this other passage, this other stuff that, uh, that uh, encourages us and, and, uh, and um, fills us and, and renews us. And written so, as the writer says, that we do not go weary and we do not lose heart. Can we, what can we gain from this, these verses? And I, and I want to go straight to uh, chapter 12, to those first three verses of chapter 12, which um, are one of the great passages of the, of the New Testament, aren't they? Where we read, since, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw ev- off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. It's one of those great passages. And when I, when I read it earlier in the week, and I just felt God was saying, we just, we just need to hear that. We just need to draw from that. We need to, uh, to let that speak into our hearts. It's, as I say, one of the great uh, passages of, of the New Testament. And it's so good uh, to hear. It's, um, there's so much that, uh, that we can... Uh, unpack from just those three verses. Um, 
There's, there's, a, there's a wonderful story, probably an apocryphal story, about uh, a man who went to hear that great uh, preacher, Martin um, Lloyd-Jones, at Westminster Chapel. And uh, he was preaching on this passage, and he went the first week, and he only got as far as therefore. And, uh, and he, probably in about an hour. And then he went back, and he couldn't go back the next uh, couple of weeks because he was on holiday. So the guy goes back the following week, and he got to since. And so he turns to the man next to him. He said, oh, has he been on holiday as well? So he said, no, we've had two weeks on the comma. (laughs) You don't get that sort of expository preaching anymore, thankfully. (laughs) But it is, as I say, it's a great passage, and there's so much to, uh, to get from it. And the heart of the message compares the Christian life to a race, to a a, a foot race. Um, It's not unusual in the New Testament. Paul, doesn't he, he talks about running the race. So it's not an unusual sort of uh, metaphor to use. And it says, you know, running, being a Christian, running the Christian life is like running in the race. Now the first thing you need to under, first thing we need to take on board, of course, is that if you're running a race, you've got to decide to run it. You've got to be in the race, as they say. You've got to be in it to win it. And so the first thing that the gospel encourages us to do is to join the race. Jesus says, follow me. If any of us have not made that decision, then we need to make that. We need to get in the race. To be part of that, what God is doing in Jesus. You probably know that... um, I've, I've spoken about it before, that Val and I are athletics fans. We, we, we used to go to Crystal Palace in the days when the, when the meets were there. We've been to the Alexander Stadium. We couldn't be there this afternoon. Um, we've been to the World Championships and all kinds of stuff. We, we've seen Mo Farah more times than, uh, than I can remember. Um, cheered him from the sidelines. But there's no point here in which the writer of the Hebrews is saying you can sit and cheer from the sidelines. You've got to be in this race. You can't be spectators. This is not a spectator sport. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. You've got to decide for him. Remember that old song that we used to sing as kids, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. You've got to decide to be in it. But the other thing about this, uh, this race is it's clearly a marathon, not a sprint. The word that uh, it, we, uh, um, we translate race here is the word, it's the Greek word that, um, uh, that from which we get the word agony. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? We get the word agony. And so it makes no bones about this that it's a hard race. But the fact is, no matter how difficult it gets, it's worth it to win the crown with Jesus. There were two gas servicemen, one a a supervisor and the other a young trainee. And they went to a street to read all the meters. And they parked their van at one end of the street and they woke their way up the street reading all the meters. And when they got to the last house in the street, um, they went in to read the meter. It just so happened the lady of the house was just watching, looking out the window. 
um, unbeknownst to them. And uh, the older one says to the younger one, said, right, that's, that's all the ones in. I'll race you back to the van. And off they took, out the gate, down the street, back to their van. Just gets back to their van, and suddenly realizes the lady in the last house is right behind them. And they said, what's the matter? What's the matter? She said, well, when you see two men from the gas board run like hell from your run, <laughs> you run as well. She didn't know why she was running. But we know why we were running. We know why we're running, because we are following Jesus. That woman thought that her life depended on it. And literally our lives do depend on running this race with Jesus. Our eternity depends on it. Salvation depends on it. Forgiveness depends on it. Getting in this race. Another really good thing about this race is if you finish, you win. You're not competing against anybody else. You're running the race with others, but you're not competing against anyone. There's no sort of first past the post. You don't win a gold, silver, or bronze medal. There's no quota system in the kingdom of God. You run the race, you finish the race, you win the prize. You win the crown of glory. Because that's what God wants for us. And so we're encouraged to run the race. But we're encouraged to do so with perseverance. That steady determination to keep going. The word has that sense of keeping on, being determined to continue, even when everything within you wants to slow down or give up. We're told we need to keep going. It's an interesting fact that uh, they've done a a study, I was reading a few months ago, a study on the London Marathon. And do you know when the most people give up? They give up in the last six miles. That's when most people give up. Not in the first ten or in the middle bit. They give up in the last six miles. But we're told to keep going. Determined to keep going. And so how are we to keep going? Well, first of all, because we need, first of all, we need to know that we can take inspiration from this great cloud of witnesses. So, again, it's a lovely metaphor, isn't it? A great cloud of of witnesses. Not a crowd of witnesses, but a cloud of witnesses. Clouds mean different things to people these days. People talk about data clouds. Do you know where the iCloud is? It's some server in North Carolina, apparently. But I think this is more about the clouds we see in the sky. Um, I used to uh, I used to play golf regularly with a guy who was a jog- who'd been a geography teacher, and we get halfway down the fairway and he'd stop and he want to explain to me about these clouds. And he says we are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses surrounding us, enveloping us. This crowd of of, of people these great people of faith, of the past, of the, of the present. One of the great things about coming together to worship, isn't it, that we are surrounded with one another. Surrounded and we can lift one another in prayer 
and, and hold one another and support one another because we're there. We surround one another like a great cloud. And in the earlier chapter, the, we read about some of the great men, men and women of faith in the Old Testament. And it's great to hear those stories, isn't it? It's also great to hear the stories of people in, in our own, since then, in our own time. I, lo- I love reading biographies. And I really do recommend that. You know, to read biographies of great Christian people to encourage you. I recently uh, read one about Eric Liddell. Uh, most people know him from Chariots of Fire about refusing to run on, a, on Sunday in the Paris Olympics. But actually, he, he gave up his athletics career and became a missionary in, in China. And he died at a very young age. He was only 42 when he died. But his impact upon people through his faith was enormous. And in some senses, you get to the end of that book and you think, gosh, it's sad, isn't it? That man died at 42, but you think, wow, what a great man of God. If I could just be a little bit of him, I would be, I'd be really pleased. Such stories are of great inspiration and we need that kind of inspiration, particularly in our spiritual lives, especially when, you know, times when we get downhearted, when we struggle with the things of God, when things happen in life that are hard. We just need that inspiration of those believers who've finished the race, those who've stayed the course, those who've gone before us. So we can say, praise God that we're, we're surrounded by that great crowd, that great cloud of witnesses. Again, the interesting thing is the word that's translated witnesses is the word from which we get the word martyr. These are, again, these are not people sitting on the sidelines. These people that we're surrounded with are not people sitting on the sidelines. They're the people that, have, uh, that walk the walk and, and have traveled and run the race. So we can be inspired by them. The second thing that we're told to help us persevere is that we also have to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that... Uh, so easily entangles. No serious runner would, would uh, carry extra baggage if they're competing to win. And that sort of throwing off, that word that again there is, is, a, is, a, is a dynamic one, that something we need to do every day to throw off this stuff. What are the things that hinder you? What are the things that entangle you that you need to set aside? What weighs you down? What diverts your attention? What saps your strength or dampens your enthusiasm for the things of God? Throw them off. I remember uh, many years ago, well, not that long ago, when I was a young curate, um, (laughs) 10 years ago, maybe. (laughs) And uh, the church I was at in in Walthamstow in northeast London, and we we were going to do this little, this building project. We needed to refurbish uh, a building, and we needed to raise some money to do that. And so to raise the profile of this this project, it was decided, I can't quite remember who decided, that the curate should do a sponsored walk. And I did a sponsored walk over two days. I walked 52 miles. I walked from Walthamstow to Chelmsford, stayed in, uh, slept in the cathedral overnight, and then walked back the next day. But when I set out on the, day, on the first day, um, we started off from school assembly. 
And, uh, but I turned up at school assembly uh, with, uh, with a suitcase, uh, three coats, a rucksack, um, and all sorts of stuff. And I'd even managed to borrow from somebody a set of skis. <laughs> and, and we did this assembly saying to the children, so what are the things I don't need? What other things can I throw off? What other things that will weigh me down? And we were talking about these particular verses. Remember it, remember it well. They did allow me to leave uh, to start the walk uh, with a shirt and a pair of trousers and me trainers. But that was it. Everything else got thrown off. Because we do try to drag around so much stuff. And we, we're very good at, um, at collecting stuff, aren't we? Um, whenever, I, whenever we moved house, um, it's always amazed me just how much stuff we have. I'll probably regret this later on, but um, I, I'm married to somebody who's, um, if you've got lots of stuff and it won't go in the cupboard, that doesn't mean you throw some out. That means you just rearrange the cupboard so it all can go in. <laughs> She's very good at that. But we just have so much stuff. Last time we moved... Um, we, we decided, we made a conscious effort to have a big sort out. And, and I think over a month, we took 20 carloads of stuff to the dump at Stratford. But there's something, every time, as you drive away from the dump, having emptied this stuff, there's a real sense of release. A real sense, oh, it's gone. And Jesus wants us to have that. That's that joy of just being able to let go of this stuff. He says, what are you carrying that for? What are you carrying that guilt for? What are you carrying that fear for? What are you carrying that for? I want, to let, I want you to let go of it. Throw it away. Because he just longs to see us set free, doesn't he? Just longs to say, you don't need to carry all that stuff. Just let it go. Throw it away. And then the third thing is that we're told that as we're running the race, there is only one place that our eyes should be fixed. And that's to be fixed on Jesus. Not just glancing, but fixed. Concentrating on him. Looking at him and not looking at anything else. Again, the sort of athletic metaphor of the coach who will say, when the gun starts, when the gun sounds, start running. Don't look back. Don't look around. Keep your eyes on the finish line. I don't know if you saw uh, a few weeks ago, there was a uh, a race uh, and and a guy thought he'd finished and there was still a lap to go because he'd lost concentration is quite sad. He was celebrating and realized everybody else was still running. Focus on the finish. Focus on Jesus. Again, I'm, I'm reminded um, back in the 90s, remember Linford Christie? You know, and those pictures of him, you know, as he's running, eyeballs out. You know, he's focused only on one thing, on the finish line. And we're told to have our focus on Jesus. On him alone. That great 
Just reminded of that great old hymn, isn't it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and all the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Fix your eyes on him because it changes everything. Fix your eyes on him, we're told, because he is the author, the starting point, and the perfecter, the finish line of our faith. That wonderful biblical paradox that Jesus is both at the same time and a bit in the middle. He is all in all. He runs the race, but he also knows the start and the finish. There's no part of the race that he doesn't know about, that he hasn't been there, that he hasn't done. What a wonderful saviour. He's been there, done it. And it says, you know, that we look to him because he's done it all. He's considered him who endured everything, endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, scorning it's shame. That was foolishness to the Greeks and what was a scandal to the Jews. To him, didn't matter. He was willing to go there to do that. We're encouraged to know that, that Jesus sets us free from the power of shame and ridicule. He scorned the shame of the cross. Remember when I was a, a teenager, growing up uh, in East London, there were times when um, other kids got to know that I went to church and I was a Christian, and they would call me names. There's, I can remember uh, one or two occasions when being followed to church and having the odd stone thrown at me. That kind of ridicule is quite hard to take, isn't it? And I expect we all have that experience of times when we feel our faith is being ridiculed, and yet. Jesus says, I've been there, done that, scorned that, doesn't matter. Jesus took the path of ultimate shame in his time being nailed to a cross, publicly humiliated and executed with thieves and murderers, and yet he shrugged it off, he bore it. We're told he endured opposition and overcome it. So when we look to Jesus, we see we can survive that. We can, in the power of Jesus, we can endure that. Whatever it is, whatever someone throws at you, we can be victorious. Because the third thing about him is that um, as we look to Jesus, he is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It tells us that the victory is won. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sits down for one reason only. Because it's done. The work is done. It's finished, as he said on the cross. And so therefore he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. The victory is won. At the beginning of uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, we have that profound definition of faith where it says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see 
And that's great, but there are some times when things happen to us or things are done to us or some things get in the way and our hope gets diminished, doesn't it? Sometimes the longing to see becomes overwhelming and not seeing all that we hope for in God, for ourselves and for those around us, for our church, sometimes means we get downhearted, that our our certainty is shaken. We're told here not to lose heart as we join the race. This is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a tough race, but we can get through it. We can, we can continue to run because we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, not onlookers sitting in their armchairs, but those who run the race with us, who witness to the faithful promises of God, who have endured and persevered. We're reminded that we've got to throw off the stuff that holds us back, but we are ultimately to fix our eyes on Jesus. If we want to run this race, if we want to persevere in this race, to fix our eyes on him who endured but is victorious. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, first of all, we